0: Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network, the Thursday, April 28th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast, uh, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. On today's program, uh, J.D. Piquel, a great CFB follow and uh, content creator and film study guy, uh, played college ball, um so knows the game quite well and his videos on youtube and everything else is uh great so go check that out if you've not already done so so we talked a lot of baylor uh where he played briefly at and then um where baylor's going their season they just had under dave aranda the big 12 some surprises a lot of texas tech upside um here on our conversation but very fun to talk with jd about all that then of course the full ride with matt green to talk all things college football here on the podcast, we have a very uh, loaded show in terms of big, monumental news uh, changing the scope of college football uh, in the not-too-distant future, um, and it has to do with the NCAA uh, Transformation Committee and what they're looking at, the recruiting window, transfer portal, NIL, all that kind of stuff, and where we're going with that, coaches walking away, like Matt Luke, like just a lot of more more questions uh, in college football and the future of it here on the podcast. We've also got uh, your two coaches who uh, we think will win the most games uh, from a season ago. A lot of good choices here, but we talked about Sarkeesian, Heupel, Beamer, Lance Leopold, Jed Fish, Brian Harson, Brett Bielema, all that and more on the uh, edition of the Chase Most Podcast here on the Blue AirPod Network. Uh, don't forget folks you can also read me oh yeah i'm writing a bunch over at sports renaissance man.substack.com. wrote uh two pieces yesterday on uh yellowstone so i uh, one on yellowstone and one on the tennessee baseball team um so yeah uh, i'm doing a yellowstone uh watch so i've never watched it uh, big taylor sheridan guy i love Mayor kingstown that's my jam um sons of anarchy also great So started with episode one, wrote about that, going to write about that show every single day. So go check that out on what Chase is watching over there at Sports Renaissance Man. And I also wrote about the Tennessee baseball team uh, dismantling Xavier on uh, Tuesday night. So go check that out if you have not read my gamer, different kind of gamer and insight into the Tennessee baseball program as we get ready for the Auburn weekend. Um, But yeah, that's where I'm at in the writing front. So go subscribe there if you've not already done so. You can also watch us on YouTube. Oh, yeah. The Chase Most Podcast is on YouTube, YouTube youtube.com. Type in The Chase Most Podcast. That easy, that simple. Go ahead and take care of that today. And then uh, let's see. What else? Oh, if you are not already, go ahead and subscribe to The Chase Most Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts, just so that you never miss a future episode here on the program. But if you're already uh, subscribed and you have not already done so, go ahead and hit that pause button and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcast follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um, my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right, we're back here on the full ride on the Chaseless Podcast, where I am joined by fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, back-to-back weeks of solid colored shirts. The The sports <laughs> shirts are out of the building. Like, the spring-summer wardrobe is here, and that just means dark-colored uh, shirts. That's, that's all I got I, for you.
1: I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I guess when it was cold, I, all my hoodies are like sports hoodies, essentially, mm. so... Yeah, or or the North Georgia one. You know, I change yeah. it up a little bit, but uh, but yeah, I, I, neither one of us are repping North Georgia here in our background. I think we need to. In- well, hold on. Oh, okay. I see you. I see you. So, um, but yeah, this is the this is the spring attire. Just the, the
0: plain T shirt. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, I have my University of North Georgia like license plate. I have one right here, and then I have my diploma right there, or not diploma, degree. And then do I have? I think I have you What's it different is diploma or what do high you mean? school Our is different. diploma, and then degree is college. You don't get a college diploma. No, I would have no. called it. A, I would have called it a diploma. I thought it. I I think it, there's a there's I, a reason uh, I learned something it. today. There you go, um, Matt Green. As much as I would love to just talk all things Tennessee baseball for a little bit, um, number one, again, uh, not the, just an absolute beatdown of the Xavier Musketeers. I don't know if you caught any of that on Tuesday night, but it was a, it was a I, I didn't catch that one. Yeah. I got Auburn this weekend. Georgia comes in in two weeks. So I'm excited for that series. Yeah. Georgia's good this
1: year, right? They're like top 10 or something.
0: No, they're not top 10, but they're, uh, they're okay. Like
1: second in the sec or so? I thought I saw nope. something. Oh,
0: no, Nope. Arkansas second in the sec. No, and it's fair not particularly close. Yeah.
1: I'm not i I'm not a baseball <laughs> expert. I just saw some on Twitter. Fake
0: news. Yeah. Uh, no, it's all about those uh, Tennessee volunteers, as you know. Everything's School. Where's the ding? Oh, there it is. There's the... For those of you following along
1: at home, take a Everything shot. Everything's School. Yeah, there's number one. Drink responsibly.
0: <laughs> uh, Matt Green. So, I wanted to start here on this edition of the Full Ride here on the Chase Ones Podcast with... A lot of great reporting from Ross Dellinger of SI. He's been on the show before, really, really plugged in, and had two big things that came out this uh, this past week. But I want to start with the big one, which is he has a piece in SI.com entitled College Power Brokers Poised to Turn NCAA Upside Down. This is all following um, the longtime NCAA president, Mark Emmert, who uh, will be stepping down up until the summer of 2023 and that's only if they do not name a successor before then um which seems uh like that is a pretty unlikely thing that this will take that long to refine his successor um but names already thrown around you saw greg sankey's name remember and he was like no i'm good i'm just gonna keep being the sec commissioner where he's got more power and it's just a better gig uh, by and large but um interesting to see who who's already been thrown around there but by and large I didn't realize his departure kind of sets the tone for where we're going. And like a lot could change pretty rapidly. Like there's already been a lot of change, but this is the good kind of change where we might get some positive guardrails in a lot of the sports. We might get some more organizational structures across college athletics. Um, I'm more optimistic about this change and Emmert going away. The guy who called the Kansas Jayhawks, the Kansas city Jayhawks after they won the national title this year. Like really? Yeah. Like that was one of those just uh, when he was presenting the, uh, the the title to the Jayhawks. Oh yeah. It was an, it was an all time moment, but um, not a one shining moment, if you will. It's just, uh, yeah, there you go. Nailed it. Um, I, I don't know. I think the first two paragraphs really set the tone for like hey folks if you are a college football fan you're like hey i am focused on other stuff it's baseball season whatever you need to be paying attention to what happens this summer with the ncaa the next president where things are headed because i think we could see a lot of change really quickly and this is what ross wrote in the first two lines quote Imagine a college sports world where schools um, are able to offer each baseball player a full scholarship, or if a football team's on-field coaching staff could exceed 25 people. What if the transfer portal was open to players for just three months out of the year? And what if the recruiting calendar featured no evaluation or quiet periods? There is a distinct possibility these ideas could become more than just concept. And this is all coming from the transformation committee, Um, which is a group of high ranking college leaders charged with overhauling and modernizing NCAA governance uh, is considering uh, revolutionary changes. Some administrators describe as radical. So this tells me that's coming, like that's coming down the pike that their goal is to modernize this thing. And they're like, NILs here portals here. We've got to get a handle on all of this because this is uh, an absolute mess. Like a new coach every day is like, I don't know what's going on. The portal NIL, like it's just chaos in the wild, wild West. Clearly there is an understanding around all of college athletics. And like, it's got to the point where I don't think any coach is concerned about being open about it of just, this is a mess. And I think people were scared early on because they didn't want to scare away potential recruits or anything like that. But now everyone's putting their name to this thing. And just like, Hey, we have a problem here. We need to fix this ASAP because this is preposterous. Like you have 1300 players who have been in the portal I think in the last year in college basketball or something like that, we were like, what is happening? I obviously, because I've been someone who said for the last couple of years that like the biggest impediment to the health of the sport is not NIL. I think NIL is actually good and fine and just kind of will, will not change the Bama's and the Georgias and how the sport's been uh, in our, our whole life. Like I think the sport will be fundamentally the same. However, the portal and people just constantly moving and these coaches having to jump and bend over backwards to keep everyone happy of fear of losing these guys at any point during the calendar year at times, that just, I think that leads to like people like Matt Luke just stepping away from coaching and seeing more coaches be like, man, I, this is too much. Like juggling these rosters and trying to keep track of who's going where, who's in the portal, who's out of the portal. If you have a three-month window... And you cut this thing down like that, and you're just like, hey, here's your time. If you don't go in and you don't pick somewhere else new at that time, it's over. Like, And then coaches can move forward with this. I am excited about that portion. But I think at the very least, Matt, it certainly seems like more radical change is coming to college sports sooner rather than later, right? Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like the writing is on the wall. Uh, to the one point that you just
1: made there, I like the portal is like, you know, I, I love the idea of having, what, a three, four-month mm. portal period or something, right? Like a transfer period. They do it, I know, in, in European soccer. like um So I, I think that's a great idea, but I don't think the portal is nearly like the, the, the weight on these coaches that just recruiting in general is. I think hmm. the recruiting calendar, I think, is the number one thing that, that's got to be changed. So I, I think they, they showed... Um, they said some athletic directors kind of gave some insiders on, um, insight on what the, uh, the, the, transfer committee's concept are. And they, they gave five things was eliminating scholarship caps, um, which kind of applies more to other sports because basketball and football kind of have their set, uh, mm. scholarships, but abolishing the limitation on coaches per team, expanding payments from schools t- directly to athletes. But then what four was reconfiguring the recruiting calendar and then five implementing the closed periods for the for the transfer portal i think the recruiting calendar i think is just it's everything because mm-hmm. like these guys are committing you know class of 2025 is is committing right now to, to places you know and it's like it just gets spe- sped up more and more and more and i think that's why you're seeing these these schools scramble to hire guys in december like if we just if we could just get control of like what the college football specifically, like obviously you've got things to do in all of these sports, but with college football specifically, it's just you have to get the calendar to be logical. Like you do the early signing period in, in July or August, you know, and then the actual signing day after that shouldn't be till March. Like you see, we see how these NFL and college coaching circles overlap so much. Like, you're going to lose coaches to to the NFL to other schools like instead of making 80 percent of them liars like just just move the calendar back a little bit so that they don't have to lie to these players and say oh they're going to be here for however long and then next week they're with the Detroit Lions you know it's it's so I think the calendar is like the number one thing that I look at much more than the portal because at the portal hmm. it's like it is like kind of out of hand with the way, but it's like, what does it really matter if you know a guy's going to transfer in January and in October he just says he's going to transfer? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't, you might not, he might not officially be in the portal yet, but I don't think that's as big of a deal as just like these guys just, you know, the constant work, You were kind of addressing with Matt, the Matt Lukes of the world. Like, I think that weighs on a coach way more of just like, Oh, I need to be calling this sixteen-year-old. Like, I need to be calling this fifteen-year-old. Like, I need to get to know this guy for four years, and now I'm at another school, and like, it's just, it's just such a hectic process. And I think recruiting just that has to just take all the time away from these guys' uh, family life and just, just free time in general. Like, and they don't have to do that in the NFL. So if they can coach in the NFL, they can coach ball, uh, like they would rather just do it there where they don't have to worry about the decision-making process of 16 and 17 and 18 year olds.
0: Yeah. I don't know, but it, did they do that list that you put, was that in order of like importance to them? I don't remember off the top of my head. Was that,
1: I, I don't know if, I don't think it was in any kind of order. I think that okay. was just like, these are some of the concepts that were included like anonymously.
0: Mm. I, yeah, uh, go ahead. I don't know. What do you think is the most, like, so if you had to rank those, how would you rank them in order? It sounds like you got recruiting number one, then how would you do it for the one through five?
1: Well, I don't really know how the the coaching limit thing seems weird to me. Like these coaching staffs are already huge, and then they have all these analysts. Like that doesn't seem as necessary. Like I'm not really sure what who benefits from that other than the absolute top of the top because you would rather be a quality control coach on. Alabama staff, and maybe a, a defensive backs coach on Tennessee staff. You know, it's it's so limiting the coaches and the, the scholarship. I think was really applying to like they said with baseball. They have like eleven point seven scholarships to give to teams, so you could essentially have all the players on full scholarships. So that definitely th- seems like a good idea. So that doesn't necessarily affect college football. So, and I I just it, the the payments directly from schools. To players, like I don't know, I just feel like a certain way about it. Like, like the like these guys aren't aren't supposed to be on payroll, right? It's mm. just like they're getting a full a full ride scholarship. Like that is something. And then if Mellow Mushroom wants to also give them some money for making appearances, like yeah, go for it. You know, and like that seems like the the what's the what's the term like the the spirit of the rule. Mm. So like just. Everyone's gonna get past this, you know, we've seen what XA&M and Texas, these schools are doing and like Florida like you're you're paying into a a a trust almost and it and then it's Giving money to the players right like you might only mm-hmm. have given $50, but you're giving it you're giving into that big uh, into that big pool so you know, I'm all for these guys like getting some money and everything, but I I feel I feel a certain kind of way when it just becomes like pro sports and these guys are like on a payroll. Like if that's the case, like now we need to talk salary caps and
0: but stuff. But we're already but... there. Like that's what these co- collectives are. Like that's salaries. Like these guys are getting salaries. That's that's where we are. Like that's for what sure, we're doing. but is that where we want to be? Like is you that don't have a choice? Like that's just where we're at. Like you can't go backwards now.
1: I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I think you can you can set some sort of limits on it right Like Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know what to do you know and maybe you're right maybe you can't put the 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 toothpaste back in the in the whatever they whatever the the phrase is in the tube there you Mm -hmm. go um but yeah Um you could be right for sure it's it's definitely complicated I just I don't know it just feels it feels so strange to think like University of Tennessee paying um paying your boy like five million dollars hold on hold on hold on no if we he's don't getting know it we no don't know no that. i'm not saying we know that mm. but i'm just saying hypothetically he's just legitimately on the payroll receiving a paycheck from the mm. university of tennessee like that's just a crazy concept to me i don't know if i'm ready for that in college football but you know who knows what's going to happen in the future but
0: is it any worse than a booster giving you just a bag of cash uh, like by uh the locker room or something like no. is that any better like i just I'm not against it. Like NIL and people who are worried about like the haves will become more of the haves. It's like, what if what sport have you been watching your entire life? Like Alabama was going to dominate with or without NIL. Clemson and other programs that invested a lot of money in places where they've always had deep pockets were always going to have an inherent advantage. Like this is how the sport was always going to be. So it's like, hey, if more kids can make some money while getting a degree and this also can keep kids in school. So Jay Billis was on the pod this week and he made a really good point. That I hadn't considered, which was that NIL does another thing. So, for the folks who are just like college is supposed to be about academics first, like you're there for an academic experience first, and you're a student athlete, his point is that, like, well, then NIL only helps because that entices guys who may go straight to the pros and only do a one year of college. They might do more years of school, they might stay in graduate student at some point with this and be a graduate transfer and get multiple degrees because they're able to make money while getting their education so if you are that person guess what nil is something that will keep kids because they want to keep getting those checks going to class and maintaining their eligibility and getting good grades and graduating from school that i hadn't really considered so we saw that with oscar shibwe going back to kentucky he could have gone to the draft he takes two million in nil uh like that's out there um don't know for sure but if that's the case he took two million dollars and which is about uh, probably a little bit more than he would have gotten in the first year in his nba contract as a second rounder like that got a kid in school for another year like he's doing more education like that's the whole goal is more education so i think you'll see actually more kids be less inclined to make that jump to the pros because they can make a pretty good amount of money while in school and also it's pretty fun to be a star athlete at an sec school if you're a football player or a basketball player. like it's they perks are pretty good like i talked to a lot of those guys they they were not unhappy about their time uh in school so i think if they're able to make money and able to get their education and we can stop pretending that these are just basic student athletes that they're not generating an obscene amount of revenue for their universities then i think that's just better for the sport and i understand people who are uncomfortable with the paying the players and everything else but i'm like there's just too much team of money. There's too many competing parts where it's just you cannot have that much money. The obscene amount of money these kids are generating and it go to one particular pot that doesn't help them. Like I it just it, you just can't you can't explain that away.
1: Well, to be fair, a lot of the money is going back into these absurd facilities right. and a lot of these things that do help the players, you know. So a lot of it does benefit them sometimes it might be after they've left school that they put in the new yeah. nice indoor practice facility or something. But, um, it, it's hard to say they don't get any advantage know, from it, you know? So, but no, that's a really good point from, from Jay Billis. Like, as far as like to claim the whole student athletes, they're students first, like, well, then you should, you know, <laughs> put your money where your mouth is, you know, it's like they then let them get their degrees, let them further their mm-hmm. education and all that. So that, that's definitely a good point. I just wonder because, you talked about the haves and the have nots like that's the biggest problem we have really with college sports is it, it's like this pretending of what it really is mm-hmm. like there is such a difference between the power five conference and the group of five
0: conference like there's obviously there's those even handful... a difference now power two like we have to do this tier where i, I read a good, really good piece about like the big 10 and the ac and the sec have so much more money and so much more power and they're so far ahead of the Pac-12 and the ACC now that like they're not even they're in their own tier so it's like power two and then the power three and the group of five like I think they've actually put uh created a bigger size gulf than I think a lot of folks understand but like if you talk to people in the know it's like the big 10 and the SEC are just in their own super world now.
1: No, that makes sense. And with, with Texas and Oklahoma joining the mm. SEC, too, I mean, it's only going to be more so. But um, I, I, there's just not everyone is making money mm. in college sports. So that's what that's what makes it tough is you have these, what, 20, 30 programs that are actually making money. And the rest, you know, all the money they make is just going right back into into everything, into all the sports and to pay for everything that they have, you know, so. I just I don't know what it's going to look like when, you know, when when all these guys when they're truly like just semi pro sports like they're they're already kind of there but it's the biggest thing I I want with the new model of the NCAA is is just maybe we can get uniformity across mm-hmm. across the the, the 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 country you know maybe all these conferences we can agree to whatever ske- building the schedules we can agree to like the the like the drug testing for like just this shouldn't even be a school by school conference by conference type things like these are sports like because certain lsu you can fail five seven drug tests it's like well then yeah i would rather go there where i can fail some drug tests and still be eligible like that's an advantage they may have over another school and so that's just one specific example but you just you need some sort of just universal rules about this and most likely you need a commissioner and, and Greg Sankey, like you said, like he's, he, why would you rather, why would you want to be the NCAA president when you have such a good gig as the SEC commissioner or the NCAA commissioner or whatever you want to call it uh, when you have such a good gig with the SEC. So I don't know. I'm really, I'm really curious to see, you know, what the future holds really.
0: And then you have Jack Swarbeck who spoke really openly with Pat Forty on SI last week about the power five splitting from the rest of, uh, FBS in the mid 2030s, where it's going to look completely different in that regard, where it's like they're going to create their own league, and then you're really going to leave the group of five and the smaller schools, and maybe even the Big 12 behind um, with that, and just have their own playoff and all that. But I'm like, we should already be there. Like, that's actually one you're not going to sell me on of like, oh, this is bad for the sport. I'm like, Cincinnati may have just like screwed everybody else <laughs> over for the group of five where it's like it's all fun and games until the group of five finds their way into the playoff where it's like no, no 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 we're not doing this anymore this is not a thing we all know that they cannot run the gauntlet we don't have to pretend that uh the Cincinnati's of the world and the Memphis's of the world can really compete for a national title like once we get there and we stop pretending that the group of five and their budgets and their staffs and their rosters can run the playoff gauntlet and win a national title year, like at any point under any year, I think the sport's better off. Like if we actually do, like I've been pushing for the group of five to get their own league and to break it up into another tier forever. Like that would be so much better. You can still play them and give them the check payouts, like still do the September games, like the FCS schools do, but then group of five, like they have their own playoff. They have their own tournament. They have their own deal. Like that's how it's just being honest about where we're at. Like, yeah. They do not live in the same world that Georgia does. Cincinnati and Georgia are in two different universes in terms of what they can do and what they can't. And we just pretend that like this, this parody, like you talked about, it's like parody is not a real thing in college football. It never has been. It never will be. And no, there's I think, always been the blue
1: bloods. It's kind of right. how
0: the sport has always been built. And you look at college basketball, too, where it's like, yeah, St. Peter's had a great run. But guess what? St. Peter's can't win a title. They can't win every single game in the tournament. They can go on a great run. But, but it was more satisfying that
1: St. Peter's, you could have won a national championship. No, like, they could have you won that. all your games. But if they won all their games, they could have. But, but they weren't. But how satisfying is it that we made a run, and then yeah. we lost. They lost to North Carolina. Is mm-hmm. that right? And then we lost to North Carolina. Like, that's our season. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's gotta suck to go twelve and zero, and then people are like, no, nah, your your season's over. Like that ha- that 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 is frustrating. But that's why that you do the group of
0: I playoff. Like you give them their own thing. Like that no, no, I so- feel
1: you. I yeah. feel you. That's and that's why they has to they have to do something like that because not only just I, not only pretending that they're also that Toledo is a, a division yeah. one football program. You yes. know, it's like yeah, you are sure, but it, you're not. You know, no. and so. That they have to do something with that, and I just I hope whatever changes come don't come because of Alabama. Like I mm. feel like so it's this Alabama fatigue is like like tiger proofing golf courses. You know, it's like there's you can make the format whatever you want. This current era of Nick Saban and Alabama, it's gonna dominate whatever format you put it in. So I feel like we should before we just react to everything Alabama's done and we need to expand the playoff and do all this, it's like, this is just an unprecedented like level of dominance that, like, we, well, I mean, we, we've seen it like in ancient history, right? Like Oklahoma won like 47 straight games in like the 50s or 60s, right? So like, we've seen domination like this, but it's like, since it didn't come... At the, at the time of a, of a change, like a major change, you know, like the, the BCS era or the playoff era starting, it's like you just, you just accepted that, oh, wow, that was dominance, you know. Well, I guess I don't know how people reacted to Oklahoma's winning streak in 1961 or whenever that was. But, like, now you're like, oh, well, the playoff, it just makes it unfair for these great schools. It's like, no, these, these we just saw an unprecedented run of, of Alabama and Clemson for that matter. Like, that's not going to be normal. And the playoff didn't make them that good. They just had a great run of success for five, six years in a row with Clemson. Like obviously Bama's been doing it for, for longer than that. So in terms of pretending the those schools are D1, like the, the group of five, I also feel like like we pretend that college football isn't a regional sport. Like mm-hmm. when we see the Frozen Four and it's, and it's Boston <laughs> and New Hampshire and Michigan and Minnesota, Nobody is is, you know, pounding their fist, why can't we get some West Coast schools in the Frozen Four, you know? It's like, well, that's just not who cares the most about hockey. So, with football, with college football, it's like the the south, they care the most, they put the most money towards it, a lot of the t- the most talent comes from this area. You're just not going to be able to put a format together where Southeast schools aren't going to dominate the sport. Like we just so I I just hope we don't like make too many rules in like the new era of trying to like legislate parity because that's just that's impossible and like you said the sport has never been that
0: yeah but hey all i want ultimately is like 20 years of peace that's what i want i want like a contract with an organization where they're like all right We've got it all down. You might not agree with everything, but here are the rules and the parameters for like twenty years, just to give our <laughs> fans a break, where it's like they can master it and be comfortable knowing that this is how it's going to be for a while. Like I just want it to be a just a normal. Give me a normal decade. Like we we took that for granted. Where you go back through and you're like, before the BCS, and you just look through stuff, and it's like college football was roughly the same year over year for so many years. And you're, I just I don't know. I think that like was me. I vaguely remember.
1: Um, Nebraska and Michigan, like, uh, tying, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, splitting national championship, just cause I, I just remember Charles Woodson at Michigan. He was just so exciting. Mm-hmm. I, I, so like very basically we were, I was eight years old, 1998 with the BCS era started. So it's like eight years old through like 23 years old. It's the same format the whole mm-hmm. way through. Now we're just seeing
0: craziness every couple of years. For sure. But ultimately, I think this is a better, this is going to put college football and college sports in a better spot than where it was with Mark Emmert. I think at the very least, we'll put like less chaos will ensue year over year. So that's all we can really hope for because we don't have any power in any of this, Matt, and we just hope for the best. But it seems like there's an opportunity here for things to uh, improve for the better. So you had this idea for the main event here on uh, the Chase Homeless Podcast the full ride on the chase most podcast and it's year two coaches who win the most games, um, outside of the obvious being Josh Heupel. You, uh, you, (laughs) you wanted to talk about the pressure aspect in comparison to the wins, but how, how do you want to outline this, Matt green? This is your show. So, uh,
1: so I'm a big second year coach guy. Mm -hmm. I think you've seen a lot of, a lot of teams take a huge step in second years of head coach, like you saw Kirby Smart take Georgia to the national championship in year two. Nick Saban, Alabama went undefeated in year two and then lost to Florida in the SEC championship. But also, you had several. I think Bob Stoops was year two national champion. Huh. Um, who who else am I forget? Urban Meyer was year two national champion. I think Nick. What S- was Larry Coker? Larry Coker may have been year one or year we'll two. Year one, okay, maybe. But Larry Coker also didn't even do anything to that program. <laughs> he just. He just let the 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 players run the show. But um yeah. so I feel like you just see a lot Briefly. of Mark Ricked, Mark Rick's SEC championship was year two. I think Jim Tressel's mm-hmm. national championship was year two. Like you just see a lot of coaches have a lot of success in year two. And so I'm going down the the group of five uh or the power five coaches. We have eight power five coaches that mm-hmm. are uh in year two this year. And so I want you to tell me. First, who wins the most games, and who's second? Who's under the most pressure in 2022? So this list: we got Jed Fish at Arizona, went one and eleven last year. Harson at Auburn, six and seven. Brett Bielema in Illinois, five and seven. Lance Leopold, Kansas, they went two and ten. Shane Beamer went seven and six. Josh at South Carolina. Josh Heupel, seven and six at Tennessee. Steve Sarkeesian, five and seven at Texas, and then Clark Lee, two and ten at vanderbilt so just out of this list who do you who do you think's winning the most games in
0: 2022 this was tough the most who i think is going to win the most games i think who should win the most games is texas um especially if quinn yours is the le- legit guy there you have isaiah nayer in there they have so much talent all across the board that year two with sark and this scheme and a full off season and a normal off season that like I don't see how the answer is not Sark. I think he's number one. Is he your number one?
1: Yeah, I was going back and forth with Hypel uh, with and hmm. Sark. Just because, I don't know, it's just something about Texas. You know, it's like you just feel like they're going to get in their own way.
0: But, but they have an e- easier path. In the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve is down. Iowa State lost everybody. Uh, Gary Bohannon just transferred from Baylor. Oklahoma State figures to take a step back. Like you have the wild card with Adrian Martinez. Texas Tech just changed coaches. Oklahoma changed coaches. Like the path is there for Texas to break through. Like I don't, I don't see how you can't put Texas there at, in terms of number one and who should win the most. In terms of pressure for me though, it's Brian Harson. I don't think it's particularly close. Like I think Brian Harson has to. Improve like he cannot go six and six again. Like, I think he 100% gets fired if he doesn't win anything less than I think his minimum wins is eight to keep his job. So, harrison
1: is definitely the only one of these that's actually on the hot seat, like right now. But Ooh, the pressure, I don't
0: know if I agree with that.
1: You don't think he's on the hot seat right now?
0: I no I'm saying I think Sark is on the hot seat too. Like, oh, you have see, Arch well, Manning that's what I was full, gonna say,
1: yeah. I, I think the definition of pressure is just it's it's very different. I don't think Sarkeesian's on the hot seat. But he's under a lot of pressure to at least win nine games. Like mm-hmm. I think at the very least they have to win nine games, and I kind of feel similar with Josh Heupel. Like it's, I think things are are going so well. I don't feel like Shane Beamer is under any pressure whatsoever. Like they could set step, could step yeah. back next year, and it's like ah, well we still love this guy. You know he's cool. He's he's our guy. Fits the culture. <laughs> um, but Josh Heupel, like they need a tangible improvement and mm. that's kind of where where sarkeesian is like tennessee's gotta beat florida they gotta win like a solid like eight or nine games i think have you seen this schedule yeah i mean do you think pittsburgh's gonna be that good this year like that's I mean, that's one of the tougher yeah, ones. that's on the road so you got it on the road florida LSU i think
0: on the road lsu on the road you get bama and Georgia on your calendar which is never easy and i mean you get that's... kentucky like I think eight minimum is a fair, but like nine, 10 is where you're like, I, I don't know. That's asking a lot. Like 10 is saying that like you win every game outside of Bama and Georgia. And that's, that's but a they big went, what, leap. S-
1: they went seven and five year one though. Right. Mm-hmm. And then lose the bowl game to go to seven and six. So mm-hmm. I think at the very least they have to go eight and four because that's, that's just tangible progress. And, mm-hmm. and not only that, it's just the situation. It it's Florida being on a first year head coach. like, it feels like they're down a little bit right now. So I think that's why the pressure is a little different. Like I wouldn't argue that Harson's clearly under the most pressure because it feels like they want to fire him already. But Sarkeesian and, and Hypel are under a different kind of pressure that like you we we're behind you, but you still need to prove that you're the guy. I think I think the, the fan base feels more behind Hypel than they necessarily do Sarkeesian, just because mm. Texas is just a hard a hard fan base to win over. Like they just seem like a, a a hard one to to figure out. And so, yeah, that, that, that's a, those are probably the ones I think are under the most pressure.
0: Well, I think if Isaiah Nair does not, it's funny that Texas and Tennessee are side by side here because he obviously deflected to Texas last minute and he like balled out in the spring game and he looks like the next Jameson Williams. And it's like, man, if you have Tillman Nair and Hyatt with the uh, hooker in this group, like,
1: you, you just can't. You can't get over that that loss. Yeah, I mean, really I really think heart. it's gonna.
0: It's monumental. I don't think people understand that. Like we're now. Like it's either gonna be Brew McCoy or Jalen Robinson. So Robinson uh, was a UCF uh, kid who Hypel had short slot guy, but we have enough slot guys. So we need someone out wide who can just take the top off over defenses, and it's just. I don't know if it's Brew McCoy, uh, USC former five-star kid who's had some off-the-field issues, but it's one of the two most likely is going to join this uh, receiver room because it's pretty young outside of the top of the, the class. But you put Nair with Tillman and Hyatt and Hooker in this guy, Like, it's just – that's a different kind of stress on defenses, and I think Nair would have been enough to, like, really make me think that, like, the matchups are just going to be too problematic for so many teams where it's like it's almost impossible for this team not to win nine games because teams do not have the personnel to stop this with this collection of talent. And with a game breaker like Nair, I, I, I'm i just so high on Isaiah Nair that like that loss really hurts. And it could be the difference between like Tennessee still being in striking distance of Georgia and Bama in the third quarter. Like that's just how big it is. And I don't know. We'll, we'll see because Tennessee does still have a hole there uh out wide um outside of getting Tillman back but losing Peyton and um who am I blanking uh Vilas Jones I think is actually gonna be a bigger loss than people might uh expect on the outside but I don't know I I think Tennessee if they get 9 or 10 wins it's like cream the creme de la cream that's great I'm expecting 8 but if you get 9 like I think we'll know early on if they're getting 9 wins um and it's because they have Florida and Ten and LSU back-to-back so we'll know very early in the season if tennessee's winning nine games um but i don't know i I don't think hypo's under any i think people i think year three is when hypo gets the hot seat stuff because i think most tennessee fans and the administration recognize that he walked like we've already moved past the mcdonald's stuff and the mcdonald's bag and just how bad and just the sanctions we still don't know what those are going to be but like the amount of transfers that Heupel had to deal with when he first came on and just the lack of depth all across the board and just how good this team was offensively right away that he bought himself this year is like, even if he doesn't get the wins, the offense is still fun and Nico's still happy. And uh, this offense is still humming. And like, I don't think they're expect, like there's a, any pressure that he has to win nine or 10 or get really get up there. If he gets eight, even if he goes seven and five, again, I think people are happy now, six and six, I think you're you do some side eyes like uh oh then that might be some some firings maybe like Tim Banks doesn't survive that because that might be because the defense isn't any better, but I don't know I think um, Heupel's fine right now I think people are still pretty pretty excited about him and I think the offense there's no path for the offense not to be good again.
1: No, I definitely agree with that. I think your assessment might be might be better, but I guess that's that's kind of what I mean is it's like if you don't show tangible progress, like if they do go 6 and 6, then I think it's like
0: legitimate
1: like sky is falling type
0: stuff. If we go in 6 and 6, three, that means we had like, to lose to Kentucky and South Carolina. And yes, I am. Sky is falling if we lose to both of them this year. If so, I, yeah, to one, so I think the sky two, might be falling. and so
1: I think that's why I, he's he's under a different type of pressure. Like Harson, mm-hmm. they want to get rid of him. You know, it's like a different different type thing. But right now, I feel like Tennessee and South Carolina feel basically the same about their current head coach. Like they feel like they got the guy. They definitely feel sold that they got the right guy right now after year one. But I think. Shane Beamer could repeat exactly what he did in year one and South Carolina fans still be good. Whereas Tennessee repeats what they did in Hyples year two. And it's, are we sure he's the right guy? You know, I, I don't think, I don't think we're nearly as, he might not be on hot seat year three because this program, you know, they've kind of adjusted their expectations a little bit on how quick the rebuild is going to be. But, um, but I think, I think you would start to worry if we see another seven and six season
0: yeah for sure if it's six and six like i said i think that's a it's also i need the context of like what the losses were who they were to how the games went like do we lose a couple games where it's like just a botched field goal or just something dumb in a couple big games or like we lose a dumb game to south carolina but we beat georgia in an upset like i don't know there's so many different like context things that we just don't know until the games happen but I mean, what if Hooker falls off a cliff and last year was an aberration and then now teams have a full year of tape on what he did in Hypel's offense that they have to go with a freshman, a true freshman in Taven Jackson because you can't put Joe Milton out there for four quarters anymore. Like, I don't know. Like, I think there's just a lot of variables. But um, at the very least, I think I think Tennessee fans have they're they're all in on Hypel. They're they're pretty happy. So as long as the offense is still humming and we I think beat, you're right. And we I think. Beat of Go Kentucky and South Carolina, we're okay.
1: See, the Kentucky and South Carolina, that's an interesting point because I. that's why I felt when we were talking about Tennessee a few weeks ago, if they start 5-0, I really feel like the season is a success, like, without a doubt, because there would just be so much buzz around the program. And, like, at Pittsburgh, that's not, like, an amazing win, but it's a good win. Mm-hmm. Florida, like... You know they shouldn't be that good next year, but it's Tennessee and it's Florida, and that's a huge win. And then at LSU, like if you actually see them be five and zero facing Alabama and College Game Day, like the exposure alone would, would just be a huge success for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. If they lose to Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, and even even South Carolina down the stretch and finished eight and four, I think you had so much positivity for those like first five six weeks that it's enough that, like, it, f- it would feel like tangible improvement. Like, I think that mm-hmm. would
0: – it would just go a long way. I agree. But I think Harson is just – we've talked about this, where we, you saw the early over-unders for the West, and Auburn's is the lowest right now in the West. And it's like, if that's where we're at, then it's over. And harson has gone all in on the Boise guys. So, I mean, I just – everything about where they're at right now tells me this is it and um he's not long for this job and is under the most pressure and i don't think he's gonna get the wins i think the most interesting is like who gets the most wins so in terms of this i think the first name so vanderbilt screwed Carkley is not winning more than two games this upcoming year i think he's just um it's just a really really bad situation for him uh in bandy but i think lance leopold still needs more time big 12 should be better this year and i think the big 12 is actually gonna be deeper um than it was last year uh, i like the coaching staff as a whole a lot more and you throw in adrian martinez at uh at uh kansas state and you throw jt at wbu and suddenly that it's just going to be a deeper deeper yeah. conference so lance i Leopold's think, your boy man i love lance leopold i, I like uh, i'm a big lance leopold guy um they're not,
1: they're not improving on on two and ten you know thing
0: i just don't know where the wins are it's kind of like it's still going to take some time like i, I just kansas man it's going to take time, and I think he's building it the right way, though. Where I think he's not looking at year one, year two. I think he's thinking about bowling in year four, and I think the program is okay with that. And we'll see. But are those are those the three worst Power Five programs right here
1: on this list: Arizona, Andy, Kansas, and Arizona. Canada? Are those the three worst Power Five programs in the country? Um, I don't know. If I would you get, I think is... Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt and Kansas are the clear one and two.
0: Yes. I would say you could sell me on Duke being a worse power five job than Arizona. Um, Hmm. They had Teddy Brewski. They did. People forget. (laughs) Who's like a ambassador and all this kind of stuff. Now Um, I'm trying to think who else are we missing here? Off the top of my head. Um, I think Duke's in that conversation. I might put Duke in the bottom three. I think it's historically, but
1: they've been like, that's just, in the last, that's just Cutcliffe, man. That's just Cutcliffe. However however long.
0: Like Cutcliffe is doing the Lord's work down there and now he's gone and we'll see what happens with Mike Elko, but I have my doubts. I would say Indiana's pretty bad. <laughs> um Indiana's a tough. Although one. they're on the uptick too. They're but it's always me at basketball less, school where it's like I don't true. know if they'll ever get the resources to really really same way to Arizona too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think they're right there. But, like, if you look at Arizona's history, like, I didn't realize just how bad, like, Arizona football is over the course of, like, 70 years, where it's just <laughs> yeah a mess all the time. But all that being said, do you know who's going to be under center for the Arizona Wildcats this summer, or this fall? Um, I don't think I do. He was the starting quarterback at Wazoo this past year. Jacob DeLora. Jacob DeLora. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it uh from wvu so he transferred over was able to compete right away um and i uh i don't know i think there's a path to arizona winning several more games this year than they did a year ago i think he's recruiting... they can win several more and still not make a bowl game <laughs> yes <laughs> after so 11 i'm not saying buy the over like pound the over with uh the wildcats and jed fish but i will say I would be shocked if they're not even, like, two to three, maybe even four wins better than they were a season ago because I think the offense will be a lot better. Um, they've done really well in the portal. I I don't know. I could see a kind of surprising uptick because the Pac-12 South, like, Arizona State falling off a cliff um, certainly helps in this regard. Like, that should be a more competitive game. Didn't they get beat, like, a billion to nothing by them – was that a year ago or two years ago? I think that was uh, the COVID year where Arizona State blanked them, and that was it for Sumlin. But um, I don't know. I think it is. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I what What do you think about Arizona?
1: I just don't see the the path to success for Arizona. I just it. I'm I'm too caught up on their history that it's mm. just like. This, this conference is down as it is. Jaden like, Delora. You're the, you're the bottom of this down conference. Like, I just, I'm not too high on, on Arizona. But you know who we haven't talked about at all is Brett Bielema mm. at Illinois. Like, they went 5-7 and seven last year. And Bielema, this guy's got a proven track record of, like, at least being a good coach. Like, he inherited, like, a really good Wisconsin program. And I don't
0: mm.
1: know how much, you know, credit to really give him. But, like, he was battling at Arkansas. Like, they didn't have a lot of success, but, like, I don't know. They they, they were never a pushover. Like, it, would, it would never got as bad as it was under uh, under Chad Morris. Like, they were at least a respectable team under Belama. Like, I don't know. I think at Illinois, like, looking at their schedule, like, it's not going to be easy. So, I feel like – I think the Big Ten West is going to be improved this year. I think – Wisconsin with Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota and Nebraska in there. Like those could be four teams that are potentially like ranked for, for most of the season. You know, like I think those are, that's a quality side of the conference and then they have Michigan and Michigan state. So it's going to be tough. Or they have Michigan Michigan state from the East. And then also they uh, play Virginia at a conference, but um, Mm. I don't know. You just, you see teams lots of times take, a big step with the year two head coach. So I wonder if Bielema is kind of one of these that, you know, is a proven, a proven good coach. And at a place like Illinois, who knows, you might uh, surprise some people year two.
0: I don't know. I look at that schedule and I'm just like the Michigan, Michigan state games are losses, but like August 27th, I love that. Illinois is just now the team that just opens week zero. Like they're the week zero team. And that game last year with Nebraska was a delight. That was a memorable, really fun game between those two um just incompetence all over the board but i enjoyed it i don't know i just i think he's a better cultural fit at illinois um uh, than he was in the sec i think he's his style of play will work a lot better there and i i do agree with that but like that offense was putrid last year like they're yeah. they've got a long way to go on that side of the ball uh, especially in the passing game but i just I don't know. I think, like you said, what helps Illinois, and you could tell me that Illinois is a better... Like, I think the worst Power 5 job that nobody talks about is Maryland. So Maryland has all of these transfers and, like, bring in the five stars. Loxley already lost a bunch in the portal this past year. They're in the East, where, like, there's no path to Maryland football ever being a winner in the Big Ten. There's no path. Like, they are in... As long as these standings and they're not in the pod system maryland is screwed like if you're like yeah. the the discrepancy between the east and the west where like loxley i would have told him like dude do not take this job i understand you're a dmv guy and all this stuff but like the talents there i even get it like there's a lot of great talent in the dmv doesn't matter because you are competing with penn state ohio state michigan every year but they like, get to
1: be the organ of under armor i guess That's is nice. that not is that not enough <laughs>
0: But also, like, and they just don't fit in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's like I don't care. It's like it's just, mis- I'm like, who do I pay to get in the Big Ten West? Who do I who do I pay to get out of this freaking nah, division? Get, get them back in the ACC, man. Yeah,
1: like I just I hate seeing Maryland in the Big Ten. It's just it doesn't.
0: Who do we Atlantic swap out? Coast. Who do you trade? Atlantic
1: Coast. Maryland's right in the heart
0: of the Atlantic Coast. You kidding me? And Duke Maryland was so good in basketball for sure. Like I'm, you won't have a you you won't um, sell me on that. But the thing is. Like we talked about at the beginning, the Big Ten just makes so much more money and is so far ahead of the ACC that Maryland, I guarantee you, is in a much better financial position than they were in the ACC.
1: No, I think that, and that's what theirs was all about mm. too. Um, but the switch you would make, obviously, just hypothetically, would be mm. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh okay. could could merge right in there to the Big Ten. You know, I agree. They're, they're they're further Pat west than being a Big than, Ten um, guy. Yeah, they're further west than uh, than Penn State is. Right. So yeah, they, they I like fit that. more in there. So. That that's what I would do. Maryland hmm. just needs to be back in the ACC, like, just the, just for the basketball purposes. Like they have like a solid history in basketball. now you just see you see a Maryland Maryland Rutgers Big Ten game. You're like, what is what is this nonsense? Get off my lawn.
0: <laughs> and Then Notre Dame <laughs> and the ACC and basketball and baseball. But like like Notre if you Dame map out like a, yeah,
1: if you map out like where all the Big Ten schools are, like mm-hmm. Notre Dame could not be more right in the middle of all of those schools. Like they're they're so obviously a Big Ten school, but. They're playing in the Atlantic Coast Conference for some reason, because geography doesn't matter to these colleges.
0: Like West Virginia is a Big Twelve school. Like, what what are we doing? Like, they're just such a. Their schedule sucks every year. I feel bad for those kids. Like, can you imagine being a WVU uh, student athlete and just having to do? And then when they yeah, add, you're UCF, not going to a road game. Oh my God, no!
1: Like, you can play th- Cincinnati now. I guess you got a. Uh, uh, fairly close team right
0: nobody's close though. that's
1: an old school big east matchup right cincinnati west virginia i mean i guess yeah <laughs> maybe maybe for like a tiny period they overlap the bob huggins cincinnati. bowl yeah oh there you go um but yeah so i don't know it's um geog- we, threw, we threw geography out you know yeah. years ago as soon as missouri joined the southeastern conference i think it was kind of the eastern division of the southeastern conference
0: i think we uh, we threw that out hmm well Anything else on that front, with the wins, losses, and uh, the pressure there? Um,
1: no, that's all I got. I um, we'll see. Someone's going to surprise us year two. I, I guarantee you that. There's just there's always someone who, who takes a big step forward.
0: Who do you think takes the biggest step back in that group, mm. based on what they did in year one?
1: I feel like Harson is the easy answer. Honestly, it's a cop out answer. Um, I don't know. I just I feel confident about Hyple and uh, Sarkeesian. I think, um, and honestly, the more the closer we get to the season, like you're gonna hate me. The closer we get to the season, the the more and more I'm like, maybe the South Carolina, maybe maybe they're fit. trending in the right direction. I don't know. Maybe Spencer Rattler is a uh, you know doesn't have that that stud backup sitting behind him. Looking over his shoulder, maybe he'll uh, we'll, we'll he'll play a little bit more, like uh, like he did in twenty twenty.
0: We don't play them until November, the second to last game of the year. It's really weird. We never play South Carolina this late in the year. I, I
1: mean, love it's on it. On the road man. in Columbia. I just we just need to as long as we can get rid of all of these November cupcakes, man. That's we didn't mention that when we were talking about all the rule changes. <laughs> the November cupcakes have to go. So I just. Playing all SEC schedule that that final month of the season, um, I think Georgia Tennessee late in November, and then uh, then South Carolina Tennessee. That those are going to be some good ones. Georgia Tennessee, that's um, I'm I'll
2: looking be there. forward to
1: that being a November a November rivalry. Like I, I'm going to miss our, Auburn was always that cold rivalry game for Georgia in November, but um, but just because that the SEC East implications, I think it could be like potentially deciding the division lots of years with with Georgia Tennessee playing, you know, early mid November.
0: Yeah, if we just get through the uh, the Florida game, like I just like I just that's the game circled. Like I tickets are already insane for this one and this is just something that you've already got to preemptively jump on because that's going to decide our our season I think and just it would put such a damper on all the excitement if you go down at home to Florida with this iteration of Florida, like I I cannot undersell just how important the Florida game is. It's the most important game on the calendar this year for Tennessee. Um, but to end it on this, because how else could you end it? South Carolina is not winning more than five games. I think we need to just go ahead and, and like they're the answer for this. They've got a And M at home. Um, their last three games, all losses. So we're going to end with a bad taste in our mouth. Unlike this past year with Beamer, because if you look, Clemson's going to be better this year and it's on the road to Clemson. You get Tennessee at home. You go at Florida at the end of the year. So Florida has the full season to get used to things and to get acclimated, and that's enough time for Ant, AR-15, whatever, to have a full year of, like, he might just be completely comfortable and just really ripping teams at that point where he might be the dude. Like, if you had to tell me, like, if I had to bet on who's more likely to be a star this fall, Richardson with in Napier's scheme or Spencer Rattler in Marcus Satterfield's scheme. Give me Richardson every single time, like every single time. And I'm taking Rattler over Richardson. That's fine, but... Like, I just, I don't understand the obsession with Richardson. Well, like, I, I think it's a good fit with what Napier did with QBEs at Louisiana. So I think, fair. and I would also trust him. I'm trusting Billy Napier and his offensive strategy over Satterfield. Like South Carolina's offense was a mess last year, was a mess. And I understand the quarterback situation was a problem, but like, Dude, they had no excuse for it being that bad for the majority. I don't of the year.
1: know. The, the quarterback situation is a pretty good excuse for like having to play a, a grad assistant at, at quarterback. Like, hey,
0: Seb Nolan. But you got. South but you girl, are you got right. Arkansas like that schedule. Road.
1: Yeah, yeah j- just start with Arkansas and Georgia, weeks two and three. You're one and like, two
0: there right away.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I this schedule. Kentucky is, on the road brutal. Yeah and then and then it getting A&M in Arkansas from the west, west. is not is not a good uh, a good pull this year and then yeah like you said at Florida uh, Tennessee and at Clemson to finish the season they're they're going to be into this weird position, like like how Auburn always was every year. It's like Tennessee was always in the position that they know if they're having a good season or not, like five, six weeks in. It's like mm-hmm. you, play, you play Florida like week three, and then Georgia week five or something. Mm-hmm. You know if it's a good season or not. Like Auburn has to wait to the end of the year to play Georgia, or always had to wait to the end of the year to play Georgia and Alabama. Like South Carolina, they're going to have no idea. Because mm. you can lose to Arkansas and Georgia. Like you're not supposed to beat those teams and then, you know, come back and beat... Charlotte, South Carolina State, and maybe they do beat Kentucky, right? Like, And they're four and two. And then they're just, A&M isn't an easy one. Like Missouri isn't easy. They got Vanderbilt, but they're gonna be sitting at like a, a, what, a five and maybe, like yeah, five and three or so. Am I doing five and four? on the probably going to those last three games. And that's just going to be like a total, like yeah, five and
0: four be, going into those last three.
1: Yeah. And it's like, it could easily be five and seven. Like, so yeah, that's probably the best answer. Like I like where South Carolina is going. And I feel like Rattler's got them better, but that's a brutal, like that's one of the tougher schedules you'll see in the SEC East that, that doesn't include Alabama. Like that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty tough one.
0: Get them out of here. Get them out. Don't put, I God, I'm going to be kicked. I'm going to get kicked out of Columbia. Like I'm just going to be absolutely uh, the most obnoxious volunteer in Columbia. Like the sports renaissance woman's going to have to like duct tape my mouth when I'm walking around pregame and stuff. Um, I just, I I can't do it. The South Carolina fans have been out of control this off season and like, look, I love you guys. Appreciate you listening to this very podcast, but can't do it. I, I can't. And it's all the media's fault. The co coach of the year ended it for me. Um, after just burying <laughs> you burying you in the midway through the first quarter like let's just move on from that uh, no, like yeah. what
1: were South Carolina fans thinking watching the uh, the Georgia spring game like hmm. you remember Shane Beamer was just all in on the tight end like mm-hmm. it is it is uh what is whatever the SEC media days and the whole get Oscar Delp, whatever, whatever the kind of social media thing they had
0: going is that the West Forsyth kid
1: yeah he was like the number one number one run mm. ranked two ranked uh tight end coming in the country coming out of high school and georgia fans are like oh yeah he looked great in the spring game <laughs> we're really excited about him he's gonna be our fourth tight end this year <laughs> and south Carolina's just like yeah we would this guy might be starting for us that's why we really wanted him so just a little another little uh jab and, and shane beamer in that tight end room
0: but the culture it's so good it's great to be a gamecock it's it's hey just... man
1: he, he took that mayonnaise uh, that mayonnaise bath. So everyone loves him for it. he has got a great smile. I think everyone just loves Frank Beamer, too. Like, in mm. the in the media industry, I think Frank Beamer is just kind of known to be, like, one of the nicest people out there.
0: So I think it's some that, Well, I think Shane too, is, too. That... People like Shane. I don't know Shane personally. I don't have a problem with Shane Beamer. It's not his fault <laughs> that he got buried by Josh Heupel in year one. Like, I'm just saying, like, it's just... It's something personal. None of this is ever personal, but, like, I just... It's not there, and like, can we see just six straight games of competent offense before we crown him? Can we? Can we see Spencer Rattler for a full year? Can we do that? Um, That's true. We saw it with Tennessee. We know we're, we're getting there. Uh, Matt Green, you can follow you on Twitter at Matt. Da, da, wow, Matt underscore W underscore Green, and uh, all of this great college football content there. Um, and next week, new pod. I guess it's on me. I'll figure it out. The, the leading story next week but always a pleasure my friend uh we, can, uh, we can talk
1: week. about the nfl draft how many um mm. which school had the most draft picks that seems like a good thing to talk about next week right
0: hard pass but thank <laughs> you for your uh, recommendation and it will be under further review matt green always a pleasure and i will talk to you next week yes sir. All right, we're back here on the Chaseless Podcast, where I am now joined by someone who does a really good job putting together some video stuff that like, you know, I, I see the question and I'm like, all right, he's got me because now I want to watch to see what Quinn Ewers is doing. And it's it, it's really good. You're really good at the branding and getting that stuff together. And I like your setup. You got some cool helmet situations going on behind you. And yeah, it's it's cool to have someone who uh, does college football film study that I learned from that I feel like I always learn something when I uh, check out his videos. It's J.D. Piquel, who is here this evening. J.D., what's going on, man?
2: Man, I'm doing phenomenal. I appreciate you uh, hyping me up and, and giving me some some good uh, some good PR there. But in terms of the helmets, man, that is all our production team. So I can't mm-hmm. take too much credit for that. They, they make me look uh, a lot better than I am. But man, I'm fired up to be on with you and talk some ball.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you did – like, we should give the listeners – so, for the podcast, for the folks who are not familiar with J.D. to this point yet, you will be more familiar as the years go on. I can guarantee you that in the college football landscape. But um, you played at Cornell, and then you transferred to Baylor. Two very, very different uh, different schools, I guess, and two different college experiences, right? Like, what were the – based on, I know it's been a little bit, but, like, for you, what was the biggest difference going from an Ivy League school – to a big 12, still at the time, power five school. What was the biggest difference?
2: Yeah, man. Biggest difference would have had to be just, I think, the level of seriousness revolving around football. Like, the Ivy League is awesome. I have nothing Mm -hmm. bad to say about the Ivy League, but your special treatment stops once you get into school. Like, Hmm. there's no priority registration. There's no athlete dining hall. There's no athlete dorms. Like, once you're in, it's like, hey, we did our part. You're in. Like, you wouldn't have gotten here without us, and which is very true. And then at Baylor, it's like, hey, if you miss lunch, you're in trouble. But like at, at Cornell, it's like, hey, practice is over. I hope you get back to the dining hall in time before mm. the dining halls close. Like So it's just I think that the level of seriousness, and not to say it's a negative thing about Cornell, but in terms of the budgeting and the resources going towards the program at Baylor, like, there's a lot of money going into that program. And so it should be a serious thing. But I have nothing bad to say about either experience was fortunate to be able to, um, be a part of uh, the bailout program for, for a really short time. I had to actually had to retire, mm-hmm. uh, for concussions. So I had a few too many bumps on the noggin, but regardless, man, wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing and, uh, blessed to, to be able to, to have those experiences.
0: When you were telling folks that you were like, Hey, uh, when you're in high school and you're like, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going to go play, uh, college ball at and you were like you know what i think i'm gonna go to i think i'm gonna go up north I think i'm gonna be a cornell big red that's that's what i'm doing where people are like you're going where they, to play football like that's that's what you're doing do they yeah, have football
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean the the reference you get nine times out of ten is oh, Bernard? Like the office and yeah 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 like the office um but yeah my story with with recruiting was sort of interesting in the sense that it became pretty clear towards the beginning of my senior summer, I guess it was junior summer that it wasn't going to be a power five program. It wasn't mm-hmm. going to be, you know, uh, an sec school or anything like that. So I was like, okay, where can I get the most out of my college experience, get the most and, and still play division one ball? Cause that was for me uh, a level I thought I could play at and it was negotiable mm-hmm. for me. So I was like, how can I play D one ball with their walk on or whether I'm going to get, a, you know, an offer somewhere. And so, yeah, I was fortunate to be able to, to kind of get the best of both worlds in Cornell and, uh, David Archer's done a phenomenal job with that program and it's it's fun to to put on that sweatshirt every Saturday man and watch him go at it. Who's the number
0: one rival for Cornell? Is it Dartmouth?
2: You know so Columbia is Columbia, okay. the only other program in our conference in that same state. So right. we play for the Empire State Bowl every year and that's and that's a lot of fun.
0: Is it a literal thing? Do you get a literal trophy when you oh, win? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Man. We
2: got trophy games with Columbia and then uh, Governor's Cup with Penn, so like those two games, you could classify as as rivals. But I mean, nobody likes Harvard, Yale, or Princeton. <laughs> like, there's there's no there's no friends in the Ivy League for sure.
0: Interesting, very yeah. cool. Yeah, very. It is.
2: It's, it's something, man. It's it's still football, and it's a blast. And like the the pageantry is different, but I would say the tradition and the rivalries and the the things that are just at a base level fun about college football are there across every conference, which is a blast. So yeah, a different taste for sure, but I loved it.
0: What do they run? What did y'all run a lot at Cornell?
2: Like offensively?
0: Yeah, what do you, what, what y'all you run? What kind of personnel were y'all doing a lot of? <laughs>
2: yeah, we, we were pretty multiple. We do a lot of 20 personnel, so we'd have two mm. backs in the game and put me at the slot, or we would. Uh, put me out wide and catch a smoke screen and then we do we do we do a good amount of just like spread typical inside zone hmm. uh, they've done some more unique stuff recently done like the triple option and so it really is just like a, a conference where you can you can be pretty multiple with whatever you want to run and yeah it's a blast it's a lot of fun
0: there you go. Mutation. You you had to guess that, that was going to pop up in the <laughs> Ivy League. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to talk and not some Ivy League on this very podcast because it's Big 12 country where your bread and butter is now. And like you said, playing at Baylor, have a strong familiarity with the Baylor program. They win the Big 12 this past year um, on a crazy ending to the Oklahoma State uh, Baylor Big 12 game. And like that had just all kinds of ramifications uh, after that. And just. A crazy ending um one of my favorite endings and one of my favorite games uh of the past year but it was a complete 180 from what we saw from year one with Dave Aranda where it was like oh he like the Larry Fedora hire we were like okay he's back to Texas like he's he knows offense he yeah things didn't end well at UNC but going back to the big 12 he runs the offense Aranda runs the defense like it it made sense from an outside observer we're like okay I can understand this um This line of thinking here, if you're Baylor to replace Matt rule, and then it doesn't work. And not only does it not work, it really doesn't work where you're like, oh man, this is like, you cannot do this in back to back years. Baylor is not that program where it's like, we're going to give you a long leash to figure this out and just bet on you anymore. It's like, no, we're Baylor. Now we can just go find someone better. We have this commitment to excellence. Now we believe that we should be at the top of the big 12 year over year. And he's like, all right, well, let me just go get Jeff Grimes from BYU. Like he did some awesome stuff with Zach Wilson and we can, we can figure stuff out there and just drastically change our offense in one off season, just completely run a different scheme, different personnel, different type of play style altogether. And it worked. Were you surprised to see just how seamless the transition was from Fedora uh, in year one to what Jeff Grimes did in year or in year two? Yeah. At Baylor.
2: I think the biggest surprise was how well it worked and how quickly it worked mm. because there's two pieces to this. One, there wasn't a whole lot of room to get worse. And so that was the first part. It was like, hey, whatever you throw out there, the offense will likely look a little bit more competent. Mm. And the second piece was this style of offense they were installing, which is the wide zone. We could definitely get into that if you you know want to as, as we progress in this episode. But to, <laughs> to give it like the 30,000-foot view – it makes the picture for the quarterback easier and it makes, in a, in a perfect world, second and third down easier from a down-and-distance perspective. And so it gave Baylor an identity offensively. And so for that reason alone, you're thinking, okay, if they can get it right a couple of places, mm. they're going to be in position to win games as long as that defense shows up. And that was kind of the thing for even the first year. I mean, the defense was great. like The defense was really, really solid, even in that two-win season. And so to mm. be able to pair a competent and at times really good offense with an elite defense I think is why you saw what you got to see on the field so to answer your question definitely something that came together a lot more quickly than people thought myself included but the fact that it was improvement the fact that Dave Veranda turned it around I think a lot of people were expectant of that
0: I wonder too because like having talked to a lot of college coaches and high school coaches and just like how insane the 2022 offseason or 2020 offseason was where like they the installs were just not there not having full camps not being able to really get acclimated to your players to the system to the area that i wonder like Baylor's one of those what ifs to me where it's like if you're larry fedora are you like hey man like i didn't get what jeff grimes got uh this offseason like i didn't get to come in and we didn't get this Um, situation where i mean there were still some uh protocol still in place last summer but it was not even close to what it was like in 2020 so do you think that like if they had given fedora a full offseason he got a full walkthrough to really get guys and get the guys he wants in uh in the portal or wherever that it still could have worked playing that style or do you think that they just they couldn't risk it to because like if they risk it and it's still not better then aranda and fedora are gone
2: after two years So that was my initial reaction was, whoa, this is not a reliable sample size. There's Mm -hmm. COVID. The guy didn't even get a full offseason to install his stuff. The thing that I think is most condemning to me is in that offense, if you go back and look at those box scores, they're throwing it like 40 times a game and not even trying to run the football. Mm -hmm. And they have an offensive line that's kind of makeshift and patched up together. And so for that reason, I was like, okay, there needs to be some different approach offensively, Mm -hmm. whether it's with Fedora or without Fedora whatever's happening right here isn't working. And I credit a lot to Dave Aranda for having the decisiveness to say, nope, this isn't going to work. I don't care about the sample size. We're going to go another direction because what we're doing here is not the answer. And I think we've seen from a lot of different decisions Aranda's made from switching Abram Smith to linebacker running back and now making, I don't want to say controversial, but a call that a lot of us didn't see coming with making Blake shape in the quarterback, as opposed to, 2021 starter in Gary Bohannon, I think people understand, okay, there is no knee-jerk reaction with Dave Aranda. He's extremely thoughtful. He's extremely calculated. Everything he does has a lot of logic behind it. And so for that reason, uh, I, I feel a lot more comfortable, especially, I guess, in hindsight is 2020, but I felt comfortable that, okay, if he's making a switch, there's a lot of reasons behind that, not just the off season.
0: Were you surprised to see him go Blake and not Gary?
2: I was. I mm-hmm. was, I thought that Gary Bohan is 12 and two as a starter, mm-hmm. done nothing wrong for you in terms of what he does in the football field. I mean, he hasn't had a perfect, you know, track record. He's not, you know, irreplaceable in that sense. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was one of those people where I was like, Hey man, it's Gary's job until something happens. I mean, he led you to a big 12 title when you had two wins the year before.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I mean, credit again, credit to Dave Aranda for having the decisiveness to say, Nope, Blake won this job. In camp and spring camp, Gary, you're going to have a you know a chance to go and play next year because we're announcing this before May first, and he would have had every advantage if he had said, "Hey, competition is going to go into fall, Gary. You know, you and Blake battle it out. We'll decide before game one." And I mean, I think that speaks to his character that he let a guy like Gary Mohan and know who's given so much to a program like Baylor. So, I-, I was definitely surprised though to see that they made that call in the spring, and there must have been a lot happening behind closed doors to give them the confidence to name Blake in the starter.
0: Uh, I mean, it's, it was wild because that was something you just don't see. Like Tennessee obviously has to go through that a little bit and it helps that hooker and Joe Milton are close. So you're like, all right, they're, they're probably not going anywhere, but you got to keep Taven happy. You got to keep Taven Jackson. Who's coming in as a four-star spring ball guy. Um, like the Nico stuff is looming everything, but it's like until he gets there, until you got it, there is so much more to manage as a college football coach than there used to be. And, The May 1st deadline is so interesting that a lot of coaches, we just, we have this idea of like, oh, it makes so much more sense to be the coach who just is like, you praise everybody. I think uh, James Franklin went out of his way to just like name every single player, just played extremely well um, in spring ball and was just like, I'm keeping everybody. Like, I'm keeping everybody happy and this is how I'm going to do things. I don't want anybody in the portal. Um, But like you said, Dave Aranda took a different approach. I wonder, do you think that might have some some positive uh, things down the line for them that he did Gary a solid and that will look good for him in the future. Like that was kind of like him not to go cynical of like he wanted to lay the groundwork for future Mm -hmm. um, benefit the doubt stuff, but it is something where it's like players talk and this being out there is like, you can trust Dave Aranda because he will be completely honest with you and straightforward about where he's, where you're at in the program where he thinks things are going And then like he's going to do right by you because ultimately that's just the kind of guy he is, right?
2: I think it has to. And not only players within the program and the portal, but also high school recruits. I mean, if you're going to preach person over player and stand on that, you have to be able to back it up and say, you know, and be able to point to different instances where you've taken the person over the player. And I think this is a perfect example of that of him, like you said, doing Garibohan a favor and giving him, one more year of college football where it would have been him, you know, benefiting if he had been able to keep it on his roster. Cause now Baylor has a redshirt freshman behind a guy like Blake yeah. Shapin who got hurt in his second game of action. So there is definitely a a gamble in a sense to just from a sheer numbers perspective of experience, like this was not an advantageous play for Dave Aranda. This was not what they would tell you to do with the coach coaching textbook 101, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to play well for him and If anything, I think it just speaks to the authenticity of a guy like Dave Aranda. Like a lot of college coaches are going to try and sort of play the game in the portal and NIL, and we've seen that already, but I really think it speaks volumes to the character of of Dave Aranda. And even if you don't like Baylor, even if you're the mortal enemy of, of a Texas or a TCU or an Oklahoma, whatever, wherever you fall in that matter, I think you respect Dave Aranda for doing right by a guy like Gary Bohannon.
0: Do you think Dave Aranda is comfortable at Baylor long-term? Is this not, not necessarily a destination job, but do you think he's he sees it as a job that he can win and get in the playoff year, at least a couple times or just with where the Big 12 is going? Do you think he is comfortable being the Baylor football coach for the foreseeable future?
2: I think so. I think it's a really good fit. And if mm. it were a destination job, last year would have been the year to make a play somewhere else, right? Mm. With USC being open, Florida being open. Looked like Michigan might have been open for a second. LSU I mean, was there, were, there were so many things that happened to where if you were going to jump ship and take a job that was more attractive, last year would have been the year to do it. And also, if you're Dave Aranda, you're saying, hey, man, I kind of did what I was supposed to do here at Baylor. Like, they won a Big 12 title, something that hadn't happened here, and I want to say it was like five or six years. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it he did everything at Baylor that has been done. So now for him to say – we're going to win a Big 12 title and then improve on that and try and push for a postseason berth and the playoff and things like that. I think he understands that he's a fit at Baylor, and I don't know that his personality fits everywhere else. That's not to say he couldn't go somewhere else and crush it. I mean, I think he could go to any school in the country and be a success. But for him, from a comfortability standpoint, I think Waco fits him really well, and I think he fits Waco really well
0: does the personnel and the returning talent make you believe that this is a team that can win the big 12 back-to-back years?
2: It's a phenomenal question. The personnel alone gives me some pause because they lost a lot of production. Like mm. Abram Smith is gone. who's was all conference back. Treston Evner is a big piece of that offense. He's gone. Now you're going with a different starting quarterback. And then that defense, which really carried a lot of the load for them last year is going to have a lot of new faces on it. And so I trust Dave Aranda. I think as long as Dave Aranda is on the sideline, they're going to have a really good chance and be competitive in every game, just from an X's and O standpoint, but it'll be a new crowd for sure. And so that personnel itself, like I said, gives me pause, but I have a hard time believing they're ever out of it with, with Aranda on the sideline.
0: Hmm. I, uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, what they're building there and where they're going to go, but it is something to, to monitor. Cause I think it's just going to be interesting with a lot of change and, Big 12 looks is going to look a lot, uh, di- a lot more different this year. But, um, what do you think of Iowa State? So it, we were talking about losing production, and Baylor loses some, obviously, Abram Smith and company that you talked about. But also, I mean, it is <laughs> Iowa State is in a really interesting position now. Purdy, Brees, Hall, a lot of guys that uh, Matt Campbell could count on uh to keep this thing humming because Iowa State him winning in Ames consistently is is tough to do. Like just go through the history of Iowa State football. And it's Matt Campbell uh has just done the Lord's work up there in Ames. And he is now gonna be tested again. Like this is they got a Southpaw under center this year. More mobile, bigger dude, very different than uh what Brock Purdy was uh doing the last couple years in, in Ames. But do you think Iowa State is going to be bull like this is a crazy question to ask, but when I was going through the roster and just going through where they're at right now, I don't think bull eligibility is like a guarantee this year. Like this is wow. going to be yeah. such an interesting season for me for Matt Campbell and this Cyclones team because it's going to be, like, if he wins eight games, it's like, just build the statue. Like, if he if he does that, like, just build the statue for Matt Campbell and Ames. But I am so curious. I'm not saying this is going to be the case, but I think if they went four and eight and a lot of people are like, whoa, what happened in Ames this year? It's like, look at the roster, man. Like, look at where they were at. And I just, I, I could see it. What about you?
2: I think them not being bowl eligible would definitely surprise me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that would be something that, would be out of left field to me, but I think it's a it's a valid point to make. They're replacing so much. And so I'll go on record and say, I think they will make a bowl. I think Ames is a hard place to play. I don't think people like coming to Ames. I think that'll mm. be good in itself for a couple of wins they wouldn't have if they were on the road. But I mean, this is going to be the year where Matt Campbell proves once again that he is a, a Iowa State guy through and through, and he's going to make his money this year. Because again, just to what I was saying a second ago about Aranda, Matt Campbell, it sounds like, from what we heard, had a chance to take some other jobs and mm. be in a more favorable location, be able more favorable location to recruit from, to live at. I mean, there was a lot of things probably on the table for Matt Campbell. And so credit to him for wanting to stay in Ames. But, yeah, it's going to be – they're going to have their work cut out for them. I'm, I'm excited, though, because Iowa State's a program that, even within the Big 12, is, is kind of fun to root for just because of what they don't have. Like, I don't know how you recruit to a place like mm. Ames, Iowa, truthfully, but – they continue to do it. They just land another four-star quarterback. So yeah. I think they're going to have some OKGs, okay some R kind of guys in the in the chamber. But they're all going to be really raw and a lot of guys that have very dry feet. So they'll get them wet this fall. But I'm excited to watch it. I think they'll make a bowl just based on being an Ames. I think they'll make a bowl with Matt Campbell. But who knows? <laughs>
0: And hey, they deserve credit for being the one of the two Iowa schools to actually attempt to be uh, somewhat competitive offensively. Like that—that's yeah. a cool thing that they try and do. That the <laughs> a certain other school just has no interest in uh, in providing their elite defense with any sort of help on the opposite side of the ball. Um, yeah,
2: usually good for the under though. Every now and then.
0: Oh, that is true. That is yeah. true. Um, when you look at Sunny Dykes at TCU, when you look at where the Big Twelve is, we'll get into Texas in a second, but. Where, where do you see the hierarchy? Do you have different tiers already in your mind where you're like, okay, this is a tier one based on the roster and personnel and the quarterback play that I think they'll have? Or like, is there, do you have different tiers in your mind right now with where certain teams are heading into 2022 in the Big 12?
2: Man, I don't. I think if I were to have tiers, it's probably a two team top tier with Oklahoma and Baylor sitting right at the top.
0: Hmm. But
2: we, we talked about it on our program. There's just so many question marks. Like everything hmm. we thought we knew about the Big 12, has changed in an offseason. I mean, look at Oklahoma. It was a foregone conclusion a year ago. They were going to be playing for a national title. Lincoln yeah. Riley leaves, Caleb William leaves. Uh, who knows what's going on at Texas? A lot of those chips are riding on Quinn Ewers being able to come through for them. Baylor will now have a new starting quarterback and lose everybody mm. on defense. And Iowa's replacing their whole team. Iowa State's replacing their whole team. So I'm excited. I think they'll, it'll be a great year for the Big 12. I think there'll be mm. a lot of cannibalism within the conference. So for that reason, I don't know that it will get the national credit that probably it should when it's all said and done. I think you could very well see a season like last year where you have a two loss conference champion and that doesn't Mm -hmm. bid well for the playoff and doesn't look great nationally. But the game itself too is starting to trend more and more towards that Big Ten style of we're gonna play double tight end. We're gonna use a fullback. We're gonna play tough defense. And so that in itself, I think, competes well nationally, but within the conference, I think they're just going to absolutely kill each other. So it's going to be fun to watch.
0: Well, we should also mention, like Texas Tech brings in uh, the longtime Baylor assistant, Texas high school coaching legend, and Joey McGuire. We have no idea what he's going to do. Like We have no idea how he'll be as mm-hmm. a head coach right away in Lubbock. And then you have Sonny Dykes getting the TCU job. That seems like probably the bit easiest bounce back like if i had to guess who of the new coaches has the best bounce back in the big 12 like who would i bet on to win more games in the year before it'd probably be sunny dykes at uh, at tcu like he's not it's so interesting that like he to me was not a sexy hire whatsoever but it's like it's consistent where tcu is like this dude knows the area the offense is going to be good it's going to put butts in seats and the the floor is significantly higher with Sonny Dykes then if you take a if you take a flyer like my I wanted LaDainian or LaDainian Thompson I wanted Deion Sanders at TCU so bad like that was like my just I want to see him at a power five school now and I want like that would just be the coolest thing to see Deion in the big 12 but I don't know like maybe maybe that can happen still down the line I I don't know but then you throw in the wrinkle of JT Daniels like it's interesting you bring up the multiple tight end sets that a lot of teams are running in the big 12 the dirty little secret is it's been a defense leak. Uh, for the last couple of years. Now you get Brent Venables in there for just a little bit because Oklahoma obviously is not going to be in the Big 12 much longer. But Oklahoma State is dominated. And Oklahoma State's just like, we're Utah East. That's what we're going to be. Where We're just going to have uh, an elite defense. We're going to run the football. We're going to play ugly football. You're not going to like it. And we're going to beat the, the Blue Bloods that just don't take us seriously enough. And Mike Gundy, all he does is death, taxes, and I'm going to win 10 games every other year. And he's consistent and this oklahoma state team was one bad uh just kind of read on that like if you cut back it like uh, we don't have to relitigate what happened in that baylor last play but like (laughs) nine times out of ten he scores on that play and then you're in the playoff and it's like oklahoma state got to a playoff game and that's just bonkers but spencer sanders struggled and it was just the mike gundy offense is not it's not the zach robinson era in uh in in stillwater anymore but then you have jt daniels where Graham Harrell comes in. So now Neil Brown was running like kind of more of that, what you're talking about. And they're like, no, 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 we're We're bringing in Graham Harrell and we're getting back to Rich Rod era. We're we're putting butts in seats. This is going to be fun. Neil Brown, I appreciate you trying the Alabama way and ground and pound, but we're going to go get JT Daniels and we're going to throw the ball all over the place again. That's what people want. They they want Pat White. We've seen enough Pat White jerseys in the stands and Steve Slayton and everything else that this is not going to work. So yeah, Daniel Holgerson didn't work out, but we need something like that. I just, I don't know, out of TCU, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, who do you think wins the most games of that three next year?
2: Dude, this is this is going to surprise you. And I mm-hmm. say this because of having more time close to him at mm-hmm. Baylor. Joey McGuire is the real deal. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of what you want in a head coach, a guy that's going to handle culture, because the head coaches are handling culture, they're the CEOs, they're going to hire good staff, they're going to hire coordinators this i hesitate to say it for this season because i think it'll be a longer term but um texas tech is going to be legit man like mm-hmm. they already had i think as of a I mean, maybe it was a week ago and i think they just got passed up by somebody else but they had the number 1 recruiting class in 2023 mm-hmm. which you're talking about texas tech a school that hasn't had that in like 30 years like that is unbelievable it's uncharted territory for for texas tech being all the way in, in lubbock texas so if i had to pick games for this year like your question asked I, I would have a hard time picking against JT Daniels. Cause I think he's so dynamic. I kind of like the fact that West Virginia is going to zag when the entire conference zigs. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that could play well for them. And in a lot of ways too, we've seen year after year, great quarterback play gets you pretty far regardless mm-hmm. of what conference you're in. And I guess that's kind of ironic seeing as Georgia won the national championship. And there's a question that's mark that's my own fan base about who's playing quarterback, but um man I, so i guess to answer your question i'll go on record i'll say west virginia wins more games hmm. but in terms of being a power i would not be shocked in the slightest if texas tech wins a big 12 title in the next three to four years like i feel oh, wow. that strongly about i feel that strong about joey mcguire
0: well, it's also they brought in the western kentucky uh offensive coordinator correct that McGuire yeah pull they're, him? they're gonna yeah.
2: they're gonna air it out too
0: yeah, and that was an immediate where Western Kentucky was like, what if we just bought an entire staff and brought them over for a year? And that's what they did. And they went to bowl game and beat App State, and Bailey Zappi just throws all over the place. like. Yeah. And then Texas Tech was like, okay, we'll just do that too. And uh, I I like the staff. Like you said, I think that's just one that's going to take a little bit of time before the wins uh, pop up, but I would sure. not be, be surprised. And then the biggest wild card of all, you bring up a quarterback play. It's Adrian Martinez at Kansas State like the five-star pedigree what he did at Nebraska he was just he would do the dumb fumble stuff like the Illinois game was like the perfect encapsulation of what Adrian Martinez was at Nebraska where just the boneheaded plays right before the half and then he'll do the 75 yard oh my god like he should be a Heisman guy like there's no reason that this guy should not be one of the best quarterbacks in the country but he just it's not there all the time but then you throw him in the Chris Kleiman system and what Kansas State does and you're like I think people need to put Adrian Martinez back on their radar. Like I could see him being really good at K-State this year. Could you?
2: Oh, 1000%. I think Mm -hmm. you articulated that perfectly. It might've been in Scott Frost's system, maybe too wide open for him. Like the Mm -hmm. guy is such a phenomenal athlete. He's amazing with the ball in his hands. has a really good arm, maybe a little bit inconsistent with decision-making and accuracy, but like is a pretty good thrower of the football when it needs to be. And so if they can make this system a little more binary for him and allow him to have more set-up throws to where the windows aren't going to be as tight and he can kind of just go off play action and throw it to whoever it is that's downfield, maybe it's Malachi Knowles or whoever it is, Mm. I think he has a chance to be really, really good. I mean, especially with how great he is at running the football, that's something they're going to ask him to do a lot at Kansas State. Like, that's quarterback – Rushing touchdown capital of the world. I mean, just ask Colin Klein. So I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Still the OC, right? He's got. I mean, he, yeah. I, he's got to be in contention for some postseason accolades if mm-hmm. they can be competitive on defense, keeping games. I'm I'm really excited to see that marriage because that is more so. Like we were talking about, going to be more of the ground and pound side of, of what the Big Twelve is going to look like. And they're the year every single year. I mean, you could look back five, six years at the same Kansas State team, just a different guy playing quarterback. So. I'm excited for him. I think you hit that on the head, though. He's going to be dynamic in that offense.
0: The wild – the biggest, I guess, young wild card, and we'll end on this with Texas. So you watched the Quinn Ewers tape. You watched the spring game. Hudson Card, they're keeping happy right now. They want Hudson Card in this quarterback room come the fall. Um, I don't know. What did you see? Do you see enough there where it's like Quinn Ewers is the real deal and that he should be the guy right away? Do you think he's still a year away? Like what – where are you at with Quinn Ewers and where – he like and what kind of fit you think he'll ultimately be going from Ryan Day and what um, Kevin Wilson ran versus what he'll be running uh, in Sark's game this year.
2: Yeah, from a scheme perspective, I think he is the right fit. Like I think mm-hmm. he is going to be really good once that whole recipe sort of gets mixed together and put in the oven and goes through a full bake. The thing that I'm worried about for Quinn Ewers is. The guy has everybody in the world, even if you don't care about Texas, watching him and watching how he translates and, and watching every single move he makes. I mean, talk about that throw he made in the spring game to Nayer, And that was like, feels like it was trending. Mm-hmm. So I worry about if he's not your guy game one, Quinn Ewers is still like 19 years old. What does that do to his psyche? How I hate to use the word fragile, but how volatile is his confidence if he's not the guy in game one because that was the pitch i'm sure when he decided to go back to ut was come here be the guy be QB one we're going to build around you you're going to play early you're going to play game one and so if that doesn't happen i wonder how he'll respond to that i think hudson card's probably there to stay regardless the word that i heard was he got into mccombs the business school which is a big deal and i'm sure he's happy to be able to be a ut business student i think that probably keeps him there at least until he graduates but, yeah, man, I, I think it, the verdict hmm. is very much out on what happens if he's not your guy game one. And I'm of the opinion he needs to be the guy game one hmm. just to say, hey, we're going to take our lumps with you, Quinn Ewers. We're going to build around you. We're going to just buy into everything that the Quinn Ewers Festival entails. It might, it might be a 40-point loss to Alabama, but we're going to grow with you. And we're going to just keep believing in you. You got a long leash. That's what I think needs to happen. But from a fit standpoint, skill set, I think, is off the charts.
0: I lied. I have one last nice thing for you, just because I love I'm a it. UT I love guy. it, man. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you did some film study on Nico, Eah Maliaba. The only way to say it, is, it is, is you gotta, you gotta, you gotta hesitate after the E. You can <laughs> You've gotta hesitate, and it's not one you can say fast. Um, but he's on the way in Knoxville next year. What have you seen from him that like? Do you do you see him with more ups? I don't know how much tape you watch of Arch and Malik, but like, is there a chance that he's the best quarterback? in his class and that Tennessee might have the best quarterback prospect since Peyton.
2: Yeah. Without a doubt. I think Mm -hmm. without a doubt, that's the case. I think from his athleticism standpoint, his arm feels more live than Arch's. Now I'm not a quarterback Mm -hmm. guru. I don't pretend to know exactly all of the fine intricacies, but just watching both of their tape, I'm like, man, Nico fits it in some windows. Now he Mm -hmm. played at Warren high school, which isn't phenomenal competition. Now with him transferring to long beach, poly, we're going to get to see him play against some of the better schools in that Southern California region. So I'm excited for that. I think you'll learn a lot from his senior tape. But in terms of the skill set and upside, I mean, guy is guy is off the charts. Like He's going to be a lot of fun to watch at Tennessee. And, I mean, he's going to have my full attention and undoubtedly the rest of the SECs as he's going to be the – I mean, you tell me, Chase, is, is he really the $8 million man? How, how legit is that with you being closer to it?
0: uh that, that i can't i can't answer that we okay. we can never Bye. do it
2: like that might n-
0: i would i will say i don't think that's ever coming out like i don't know really? if we'll ever okay. get a full public answer on that one um but yeah i don't know uh i i don't know it's i cannot say so um <laughs> but you hear something all the time like that's something you'll <laughs> um i don't know so that's all I can say is I don't know for sure, but it's also like when people throw that out there, or just like as an insult, or just like a a shot at Tennessee. It's like he's posting the like he sees the stats. Like part of it too is that like Hypel has a year of quarterback tape now for these guys, and he can just show what he did at Missouri with Drew Lock. He can show what he did with Dylan Gabriel at UCF. He can show what he did with Hendon Hooker, who he just brought in the middle of the year and was like, "All right, thirty-one touchdowns, three interceptions. We're gonna have more seventy-five yard touchdown plays." Uh, pass plays than interceptions for this guy who we thought was just a full-on just run first option like that's all we saw at virginia tech mm-hmm. and then he's just super efficient and like this tennessee team was electric and we're up on alabama after the first quarter put uh georgia on the ropes after the first quarter and it's just they don't have the personnel yet like they don't have the bodies they don't have the depth to go four quarters with the the big boys but they will and like if you are a top tier quarterback prospect it's like yeah, whatever NIL you throw at me is, like, Tennessee will have the boosters and have the money to do that, but, like, they still want to play in the scheme. It's not like (laughs) Jim Chaney was in there. Like, Nico is not coming, even if you, like, or whoever it is. Like, you can throw it at Arch or whatever, but, like, there is a difference between throwing that NIL money with Jim Chaney there versus what Josh Heupel and Alex Golish and what this team's running. Like, the tape's there. Like, it does not lie that Nico knows if he plays in the scheme, he is going to put up preposterous numbers Mm -hmm. Taven jackson knows he's going to put up preposterous numbers if he's the guy before him like the scheme sells itself it's super simple and i'm not saying that as a despairing thing but it's like (laughs) it's a lot of like we're going to attack your mismatches we're going to do a lot of screens we're going to do a lot of quick stuff and our athletes are going to be put in space and we're going to put so much pressure on you we're going to snap the ball a bunch of times deal with it and we'll see where the chips fall when they may and that's if you're a top-tier quarterback, man, that's what you want to do. And I don't think this is going to stop. I don't think Nico is going to be the last big name that Hypel brings in. I think this is going to be a yearly thing because this offense isn't going anywhere.
2: Yeah, and for people that have an issue with the NIL side of things, it's mm. like, dude, look around. Like, Because this number got out, oh, I should put out in quotation marks. Mm. Like, okay, cool. You don't think that someone like Bryce Young made in that stratosphere last year? If we're talking about $2 million being the yearly... Wage apparently for for a guy like Nico. I mean that's the world we're living in. And if Tennessee mm. can afford to do that, like that's going to be a chip that you can use now for recruits. That's a big deal. And so I don't know. I think it's sort of a a soft thing to be upset about because that's just the rules now. Like if you can play within the rules and you're not going to get NCAA violations for it, like let's go. I mean mm. if you want to be upset about that, Ole Miss saddle up, Arkansas saddle up. Like you got to get guys on campus tell your boosters that care about the program to make it happen. So I'm, I am I think that's it's also just a, not any different than play.
0: what it was. Like I think NIL is way less of a issue for college football than the transfer portal transfer portal mm-hmm. windows is like when I saw that, the, like with Emmert going down and like one of the first things with Ross Dellinger of SI pointing out that it might change is like a three month transfer window and that's it. That changes everything like that would be I don't think NIL is a groundbreaking like change to the powers that be like the Bama's the Georgia's the Mm -hmm, whoever are still going to dominate the sport they were pre NIL but the transfer portal is a totally different thing like if you put a window there and make it easier to keep up with these rosters and for fans to know that like here's the free agency period and that's it and then these guys are on campus for at least nine months that changes a lot. Where if they can nail that down, that is far more of an issue of people just not knowing who's where and when a guy might leave. Or like, oh, we have to talk publicly in a weird way until May 1st because we're so concerned about what's going to happen here. That is far more of an issue that I think needs to be ironed out before NIL. NIL is great. It's good for the kids. Good for the players. um, Good for everybody involved. Transfer portal, also good. Good idea. But there just has to be guardrails on that where it's just like, all right, here, here just p- give me a window. That's all we want. You can fix yeah. a lot of stuff. It's just here's when you can do it. Here's when you can't. Done. Like, that's it.
2: Yeah. These are all good ideas. Like, mm-hmm. everybody is thinking in the best interest of themselves. And we like to hope it's with the student-athletes in mind, too. But, like, these are all good ideas and trending the right way. We just got to put some, some like you said, some guardrails up to make sure that this is actually accomplishing what it's supposed to
0: yeah jd how can the good folks keep up with your work across youtube and everywhere else
2: man i appreciate it so at jd Piquel is my twitter handle and then we're on youtube with cfb with jd so it's a lot of fun we do there with analysis and play breakdowns and all this that and the other man it's it's a good time so feel free to check that out but subscribe okay. to this for sure if you haven't already subscribe to my man chase
0: oh well i appreciate that man i appreciate that jd we'll have to check back in again soon you stay safe out there and uh i'll talk to you soon all right, that'll do it for this edition of the Us Podcast. Thank you again to JD and Matt for coming on this edition, the Thursday, April 28th, 2022 edition here on the Us Podcast. If you enjoyed JD and Matt on this very program, make sure that uh, you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast. Go check out all the other great shows across the Blue Wire Pod Network, like the Green Light with Chris Long with the NFL Draft coming up uh, this week. So check that out. Chris Carter, Wide Receiver One, Spinsters, all kinds of great shows across Blue Wire Pods. So go check that out if you've not already done so. Um, make sure to go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube so you can watch this program if you would, uh, if you feel so inclined. YouTube.com, Jason West Podcast. That easy, that simple. Go ahead and take care of that today um let's see what else uh sports renaissance man of course that's me sports renaissance man dot so you can read all my work writing a bunch over there now so if you could support me and what i'm doing as an independent content creator especially on the writing front that would be great and becoming a subscriber there by typing your email that would be awesome uh follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the facebook page facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle derek how'd i do